Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. If you would open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 149. Psalm 149 is a praise psalm. The last five psalms of the 150 are all praise psalms. And if you look in your Bible, there's not much space left between Psalm 149 and Proverbs. We have been in this for quite a long time, and it has been an amazing journey studying the heart of God and studying the emotion of God. Starting in May, on May 2nd, I will be going through a series on the parables of Jesus. And so, tell all your friends to come for that. Psalms are songs, and this psalm is no exception. It starts and says, Praise the Lord, which is hallelujah in Hebrew. The last five psalms of the 150 all begin and end with the word hallelujah, which is translated in English, praise the Lord. It says in 149, verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song in praise and in the assembly of the godly. The phrase a new song is found several times in the Old Testament and several times in the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation. It says, those who believe, those who call themselves Christian, when Jesus Christ returns, we will sing a new song. And the idea of a new song in in today's vernacular, a lot of people take that to mean a new tune or new words that have never been sung before. There have been churches that I have been in where they take a time of open worship in the congregation where they tell everybody to sing from their heart to sing a new song and a lot of people just sing whatever tune comes to their mind. It is very difficult for people to, on the spur of the moment, your non-musical professionals to come up with a new tune, but that is kind of how it's moved into the vernacular in biblical thought and in biblical language, a new song means a song with new understanding or with new experiences behind it. Take, for example, go find an unbeliever, perhaps go find a person of another religion, a Hindu, and ask them to what they think about the song, The Old Rugged Cross. Your, your Hindu person would have no idea what you're talking about because they don't have that song in their faith, in their religion. They don't have many songs. Now you share Christ with them. You share God's love with them. You witness to them about how God has changed your life. And if this person comes to an understanding of Jesus Christ and accepting of Jesus Christ and they get involved in a church, and they get involved in the life-changing aspects of being a Christian, you then come to them again and say, let's sing the old rugged cross. They would understand what the cross is. They would understand what Christ did on the cross, the old rugged cross, even though it is a very old song, 
would become a new song because they now have new understanding. And so when it says sing a new song to the Lord, the precursor to that in many ways is walk closer with God, learn more things about God. If you have somebody who's a new Christian and they do not know their Bible much and they're learning about the things of God, and then you, they get into reading their Bible and they get into growing, they are going to find things in the Bible that they never understood at that depth or never understood at all, and it would be a new song to them. It would be new things to them. And so when we're going to be, as Christians, in the choir, in heaven, after Jesus Christ creates the new heaven and the new earth, we will have such deep and close understanding of who God is, deep understanding of the love of God through Christ that right now we only have just a glimpse of. We will see it face to face, and we will sing songs like the old rugged cross. They will become new songs because our understanding is new, our understanding is deeper. And so... The way a Christian life is supposed to go is that we are supposed to constantly be in our Bibles. I tell this church regularly that you need to open your Bible every day. Even if you're only reading a verse a day, you need to read something every day out of the Bible to give the Holy Spirit the, the fuel, the energy, the remembrance to change you and to grow if you think you've gotten to the point where you got it all down and so you don't read the Bible anymore, then that is a stagnant Christian. I have met people who have rejected Christ, witnessing to them, and I talked to the Bible. One guy I remember, I was talking about the Bible, and he said, oh yeah, I read it. The idea that you just kind of pick it up and skim through it and you get everything you need to know about God is not true. It is a lifelong study. It is a study for all eternity. When you talk about what's going to be in heaven, the attributes of God, we love one another, we share Christ with one another, people are going to be in heaven but the Bible is also going to be in heaven in some form because Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but his word, and he was talking at that time about the scrolls of the Bible, will never pass away. This book is going to last for eternity, and our understanding is going to grow to a level that we will never be able to, I think, in all eternity understand the full message of what God's love is. God's love is a study for all eternity. And fortunately, we will have God and time to do that. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there are three main teachings in this psalm that, uh, that is being sung about, that if we truly understand, we can have a new song in our heart. It starts in verse 1 through 4. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. God is called Israel's maker. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that God, in his sovereign choice, 
picked Abraham, and that started the ball rolling, which brought about Isaac, which brought about Jacob, which brought about the 12 sons of Israel. And he created a people out of nothing. He created a people out of pagan worship. And so for Israel to say, God is our maker, he made the nation of Israel, is a true thing. And for us, we know that we are not here except for the fact that God made us, that every person on this planet is a person made in the image of God by God himself. And there are teachings in the Christian faith about compassion and about dignity and about how we treat people based on the fact that each of us are handmade by God. And as it has been said, and I've seen on posters, God don't make no junk. We are something beautiful in God's eyes, and even in our rebellious state where we take this beauty that God has made and abuse it like nobody's business, God says, I love you, and he brings us back to him, and we are made by God. And if you look at the New Testament and you look at what Jesus said and how Paul took the teachings of Jesus and wrote letters about them, what was made by, God, by Christ in the New Testament is the church. Back in the Old Testament, you had Israel. In the New Testament, you have every nation, every tongue, every skin color, every nationality represented in what is called the church. Church is a Greek word which means called out ones. And what God is doing is he's calling us out of the world into a new family, into a new gathering. And we can look at the people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ and understand that they are our new family, that whatever family of origin we came from, God is creating a new people, a different people, a people that is separate yet living in the world, and we can thank God every day that he is our maker, not only of us individually, but of this new group, this new family called Christianity, called the church. The whole idea of a church or Christianity, of course, doesn't exist anywhere else. We preach Christ as the preeminent, as the one who by his death united us by his death, gave us the power to overcome the world by his death and resurrection, gave us the church, gave us a new family to be a part of. And so the kingdom of God is active in this world. And Jesus said, you don't look for the kingdom of God. You don't look under rocks or behind things because it is amongst you it is in you the kingdom of God is in your heart and if you are saved and you find somebody else who is saved on this planet the two of you are brothers or sisters in this planet you have a new family because this group is going to be the choir is going to be the people in heaven and so we need to also like each other in Christ because we're going to spend eternity with each other. There's not going to be anybody avoiding each other through the blood of Christ. Christ died for you. 
to make a new family in heaven. The second thing is, God is our king. God is our sovereign king. When we look at the world, there is a movement today to do whatever you want, to whatever makes you feel good, to do something that gives you pleasure in the moment that nobody can tell you what to do. And if, especially today, if you find somebody who stands against you, well, you can hate them because that is what the world says is that everybody must believe like you or you can hate them and you can push them away. But God is the sovereign king of everybody. And as we've had earthly kings and earthly kingdoms, if you had King David, for example, at his height, at the height of King Solomon's rule, to have a civil war, to have this neighborhood in Jerusalem fight this neighborhood in Jerusalem, was just unheard of. The people lived for and advanced the cause of the king. And there are several psalms and several statements of David where he prays for peace in Jerusalem, where he prays for, prays for peace in the street because the idea of having a sovereign king like David or Solomon over a group of people and the people hate each other and are fighting each other is insane because the king is supposed to have control. And so God is the king and God is the king of this world and everything that happens moves through the mind of God. There's nothing that God is caught surprised by. There is nothing that sneaks by. There is nothing that God has to catch up on that God knows it all and he's moving the world in a certain direction. You read the book of Revelation and throughout the years, and of course, you know, the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast and all this kind of stuff, people will throw all sorts of things out to try to say that, well, Revelation is happening today, but not quite. I mean, I don't consider what we're in a great tribulation yet. But I could definitely see how we're getting there, how the governments of the world are moving in that way. And God is going to make sure, God doesn't just give prophecy to John and hope that it comes through. He doesn't give visions to John and just hope that, well, if everything goes good, roll the dice and maybe it'll happen. God is going to make it happen. God is going to cause it to happen. What God has said is going to happen is going to happen. And there will be a time where everybody who has been born on this planet, all the way from Adam and Eve to the last person, whoever that's going to be, we're all going to stand individually before Jesus Christ. And he is going to show his hands and he's going to show his feet and show the, the scar in his side. And there's going to be a discussion, and you get to defend yourself. And the vast majority of people are just going to tell God they don't want to give them the time of day, and that's going to cause them to be sent to the lake of fire. If you stand before Jesus, he will bring out what is called the Lamb's Book of Life, and he will open it, and your name is going to be in there. 
and there will be no judgment for you. You will enter into the wedding feast, you will, the wedding feast of the Lamb. While people are being judged over here, the Christians are in the wedding feast with the Lamb, with Jesus Christ to, I don't know, probably get used to the whole thing because to go from here to heaven is going to take quite a bit of getting used to because there's a lot of examples of hell on earth, I think. There's a lot of examples of great evil that is done. But there's nothing on earth that can compare to the great glory of heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so God is our king. And his number one command during this time in this covenant is to believe in and accept Jesus Christ and to make Jesus Christ the center of your life. That is actually a command of God the Father to follow Jesus Christ. And if we are obedient in that, then we have entered into the new family. And the third thing that is talked about is that God is our Savior. The idea that God is our King, He can be a mean King, He can just give us all of these commands and see if we follow them, but God knows who we are. God knows our sinful propensity. He knows that if given a choice on any particular day, we will choose sin and we won't choose righteousness. And God in His love said, I'm going to save this people. I am going to save these individuals by sending His Son to die on the cross. While we were yet sinners, while we were in abject rebellion, while we were fighting God and hating God, which is the default position of the world, Christ died for us and, God, and Christ tore the temple uh, curtain in two, making a way. Sun didn't shine, all the things that happened at the crucifixion. And then on the third day, He rose again. And in rising again, it was a confirmation. It was an acceptance. It was God the Father's way of saying that He accepted the sacrifice, that people can be saved. And so we preach Christ. We give Christ. Uh, Dave Wilkerson called it the Jesus Factor. Uh, back when I was in high school, I actually remember reading the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. Tough book to read when you're a teenager, but it showed how Dave Wilkerson went to New York speaking, he spoke English, Nicky Cruz and the gang spoke Spanish. And he was a foreign missionary. He went there to get people saved without speaking their language. And the stories that he wrote about, about how he moved in near the gangs and how their hearts were broken and how their leader, Nicky Cruz, basically led the whole gang to Christ. And that is a story that can only be told because of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ's work. You don't say, boy, what a lucky break. You say, that is the blood of Christ. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of, of God in people's lives. And you are, the, you are the legacy of that move to New York. And so in 5 through 9, the psalmist takes us into the judgments of God. Now, we are, we are not people who, who pray curses 
on our enemies. Jesus showed us the way to love our enemies, but there, there's a sense when you had the people of God, when you had Israel in the Old Testament, and people were coming against them, whether the Philistines or whoever, people were coming against God's chosen people. David would pray curses, would pray successful victories, military victories against them. We do not have a a military view of Christianity. We sing onward Christian soldiers, but it doesn't mean we pick up guns and swords and fight people into the kingdom of God. But there is people against the church. There are governmental forces and spiritual forces that are against the church that hate what we're doing here, that we're preaching Christ can change your life. Christ can change your life for the better for all eternity. And that is offensive to the forces of the world. That is offensive to the things of the world. And so they, they fight against it. And in Alameda County, you have governmental forces trying to rezone church land so you can't have a church building on here. And things of this nature, you look at the... The, the advancement of abortion out of Washington, D.C., and it breaks your heart and it says, that's not right, but yet it is governmental forces going against the things of God. There is the, the poster boy of this conflict is the baker in Colorado who the government has been against him to have him make all sorts of evil cakes and it was a couple weeks ago, the, they actually came to him and said, okay, enough of this gender stuff. We want you to make a happy birthday cake for Satan. And of course he said, no, and of course that's now going to court. So they're, they're taking off the masks. They are saying with, with no difficulty that they are following Satan, that they are following those who are against God. But we do have difficulties today. There are people, perhaps family members, who when you became a Christian were rather offended. We're offended at what you're doing. Becoming a Christian has broken apart families, has caused siblings to not talk, parents to disowned because it can be so offensive. And how do we handle that? How do we do work with things like this? When we see something absolutely wrong, when we see something that is a problem, when we see something so publicly sinful it is against God, we pray about it, we say something, we try to rescue people out of it, we try to move people out of the sinful situation. And a lot of what you guys do in Teen Challenge is doing just that. You're throwing nets into gangs and into drug use and trying to pull people out. The, uh, the large example in history is that uh, after Constantine became a Christian and basically moved Christianity into the government in the 300s, the Roman Emperor Constantine, the government became in charge of Christianity through Roman Catholicism. And if you wanted to become a Christian, 
You had to be a Roman Catholic back in those days. Martin Luther saw, said, no, the Bible tells us that we can have a personal relationship with God. We can have a personal standing with God. I can ask Jesus into my heart. I don't need a priest to do it. And in 1517, he fought against the Catholic Church by publishing it's called the 95 Theses, his ideas on what Christianity said, and it started a fight. And we are called Protestants because we protested against the Catholic Church. Martin Luther saw something that was wrong and decided to fight against it, and he succeeded in fighting against it. If we see something that is wrong, if we see something that is big wrong, in America we can vote against people, but we can also pray against people. We can pray against people that are running in a certain way that is going to promote evil ideas, and we can pray God's sovereignty over them, that he would basically cause them to fear God. I pray that for our governor every day. I pray that Gavin Newsom will learn to fear God because if he ever learns to fear God, he might treat churches and he might treat Christians a little better. But when we're praying, we aren't picking up arms. We're asking God to fight for us. And there are many scriptures. There are many songs. It is built into the, the fabric of who we are that we expect God to fight for us, that we expect when something is going on and I ask for help, I ask for something to happen, I am asking God to fight for me. And that is the stand of the Christian today, is that we are on God's side, he's not on our side, we are on God's side, and on God's side, he will fight for us. And so, what do we do? We say our testimonies, we sing our songs, we share Jesus every opportunity we get, and we understand that if something is bad, if something is evil, if something is coming against us, that it says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. God will fight for you. God is fighting for you. God will fight your battles. We just need to give them to him, pray through them, and as has been said, you lay everything at the foot of the cross. Christ died for every last sin, past, present, and future, and everything that's wrong in your life is based in sin. You give that to Christ. You lay that at the foot of the cross, and you pray that God will fight your battles. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we just thank you that you are the sovereign Lord, that you love us so much you sent your Son, and as our Savior, you will even today fight our battles, that Christianity is not a get saved and that's it. It's get saved and grow. It's get saved and fight and have you clear the paths. Lord, I pray that we will be people who rely on you, who pray through everything and through everything understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood 
and you are the sovereign Lord. We thank you for all of these things and ask your blessing on the time after. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.